0: So um, I'm here today with Angela Ye, who's the founder of Yeh Ideology. I'm Sean Bender. I'm a talent strategy account manager with uh, Yeh Ideology on the recruitment team. And today we're actually speaking with Angela because um, a lot of people really want to know what the impetus was for Yeh Ideology, kind of how the whole thing got started. And um, Angela, thanks for, you know, putting together some time for us to kind of sit down and really talk about this and hash this out. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing good and I'm excited to have this conversation. It's funny, um, so many people have asked me, you know, where did Yay ideology, you know, come from and thrive by design. So this is going to be a fun conversation. Usually I'm interviewing somebody. (laughs) I like I'm on the hot seat. I know.
0: Yeah, we're flipping the tables today. Um, So, uh, I really want to start, I want to go back as far as possible, like uh, a lot of designers, like a lot of us um, are really driven by a strong emotional need to to serve other people, to do things for others. And many of them point to like their childhood as being like a real primary resource, like from all creative professions. They talk about how things that influence them as a child really sort of inspire them to move on in their career. So I'm just curious, Angela, like um, is that similar for you in this adventure of your life?
1: Um, for me, I think how I, dis- how I became, you know, who I am today, I-, I suppose, came in stages. And I think when I was in little, in a little, in and well, I'll explain that as we move through this, my, my origin story. <laughs> um, when I was young, I think always having a sense of people. Um, and how people behave. I think in uh, really having an innate fascination, I love people. I'm fascinated by meeting them and getting to know them, what drives them, what they're passionate about. Um, And then in that innately, just even young, uh, my friends would, was kind of like a Dr. Ruth, whatever questions or concerns they had, my friends would know to come to me and I would kind of I love those questions. I love sussing it out. I love sussing out um, how people collaborate or when they didn't get along, really, because that's when those things happen, right? Um, And young, loving art. I loved painting. I loved, you know, sculpture. And so back then, I think I had those two different abilities, but I didn't necessarily connect it just then, you know?
0: That being like your capacity to try to understand others, but your desire to create?
1: Yeah, I, I started out wanting to be um, a designer, an artist, actually very young, when you're a young child, there's, there's no word for designer back then, right? This is back then, this is about loving art and loving being an artist, uh, painting, drawing, sculpture um, and Actually, I think early on, I was probably really always very critical of myself. I, as soon as I could grade what I was doing, um, it took, it almost kind of, I was so critical that I would just um, grade myself to the point that I took the love out of things. And art to me was something that you could not grade. And I could flow freely into it, and I loved it. And it was in my natural form, um, medium. And uh, it's interesting that that became one of my strongest outlets, you know. And knowing people, I, I think, was a different ability that I had that I didn't think anything of it. I didn't think of it as, oh, this is my strength. This was just something I enjoyed doing. I was fascinated by people. Um, I'm, I think I'm a high, natural high E my whole life. Um, always wondered where actions came from. You know, why did someone do something? And earlier on, very young, realizing, you know, if someone said something to me that hurt my feelings, for instance, was that intentionally directed at me or was that something internal for them? You know, and just realizing that. So you mentioned like,
0: being very empathetic as a child and like being very creative. I'm curious, how did your parents react to this kind of aptitude you had?
1: You know, I don't think there was a language for this, right? Um, I don't think there was a language for, there, there wasn't, this wasn't art, You know, articulated in my family. Um, and I think this was probably me just being so fascinated by people and just watching interpersonal family dynamics and friends and other people and just, um, wanting to figure out how to solve those things. I guess the somewhat, uh, an ethnographic researcher, very young in that basic way, you know?
0: And so like, did your parents ever like kind of come into conflict or kind of find interesting like um for instance we all have those feelings that as a child we're like you know you might be nagging uh, them and say like, oh why 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 you know um i know for instance from myself i was a very uptight child and my mom always liked to play with that piece uh when we were driving on the highway she'd like let go of the steering wheel and say like oh my god we're out of control and just just to get a rise out of me to see what would happen <laughs> right and so i'm curious like um especially being a child who seemed to have such a strong fascination with interpersonal relationships and being so powerfully creative, um, as you were growing up, when did you make that decision to be creative professionally?
1: I think it's just something that I was always very good at recognized for it, you know, compared to my classmates. By the way, it doesn't mean, necessarily mean that I was that powerful at it. It just it was a natural, you know, outlet for me. Um, when I guess it, I think it was just a given. My 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 family is very creative, actually. Um, my sister, the second Rabina, my second sister, is uh, VP of design, you know, now, but moved into graphic design, art direction, creative direction, and in publishing. Um, my, my, the, my other sister is a school teacher, but it's creative throughout her, you know, everything that she did. And my, the youngest is a doctor, but she's incredibly, you know, just creative in her own right with her bakery. But, and it came from my parents, my parents, my father actually became a doctor, but earlier on as a dutiful, you know, Chinese, uh, Taiwanese son became a chose the medical path but he could have taken, um, uh, he could have gotten a scholarship with full on scholarship for Chinese calligraphy. And my, my mom was also just naturally gifted creatively. So it was just in our family blood. Um, when I grad, when I was in high school, I remember wanting to go and take a degree and, and you know, go to college for art. And my father, my father was not going to have it. You know, there was no way you're gonna go to college just for art. Uh, and he, you know, he said, oh, you're, you're good with people, so let's have you do psychology. And I'm thinking, well, you're a doctor, you just want me to do something with the word science in the, you know, ology, right, psychology in, in the word. Uh, and, but I did it, because I didn't, I didn't really understand it myself, but I, I did, I went to college, uh, undergrad for psychology. Uh, with a minor in sculpture.
0: And so almost like this um, compromise between the two of you, kind of this idea of like, oh, you have to be something in the hard sciences, something that's always going to necessarily be there. But then having this little affordance to be creative, like was there a time where you were able to combine the two to kind of feed that need to sort of be creative and to make that a big part of your life?
1: Yeah. You know, that didn't come until later. That didn't come until way, way later. Um, For me and for my upbringing and for my family and the culture that I grew up with, art, a career in art, really, are you gonna make money doing art? And uh, there's, to me, I yeah, I didn't see, I couldn't navigate that and figure out a way where that could become a career and a profession. For me, it was, you know, the only path that I understood was psychology, uh, and when I graduated from my undergrad, uh, you know, I went to the New York State Psychiatric, I, the New York State Psychiatric Institute, in the Developmental Psychobiology Research Center. I got my first job with research, and this is where you, you know, I. The world has no idea how lucky we are that there are people out there that love this kind of work. When I was there at the New York State psychiatrist, uh, is it psych- not psychiatry, psych was it? New York State, wait, developmental psychobiology was the division that I was in. And the work that we did was basically studying rat pups. And they were separating baby rat pups that were the size of my, smaller than the size of my thumb. And the, the, the science that they were trying to study in this was if you separated rat pups from their mother, did they cry for the mother because they were hungry or because they physically missed the attachment in the, the physical, emotional attachment, if there was any correlation to that. So yeah, you gotta do a lot of research and you know we're talking research number 247 P as in like every number had A through Z. So could you just imagine repeating the exact same experiment again and again and again? And that is incredibly monotonous. Definitely not the kind of career for me. Though I have to say a really slight interesting um, fact we had to do uh, we had to do microsurgery on rat pups, kind of certain nerves. You had to sever. They were very good. My bosses were on the board of ethical science research. Uh, I was, by the way, probably one of the best at rat pup resuscitation. There was a there would be a straw, clearly labeled human on one side and rat pup on the other, and I was really good at like rat pup resuscitation. <laughs>
0: so so <laughs> many rat pup lives were saved. I, were I, was,
1: <laughs> I was Mother Teresa in, in the in that call Angela.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, I now want to see like an ABC series, The Rat Doctor. You know what <laughs> 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 I'm not gonna lose another one. But anyway, um,
1: that was my like, favorite. That was like to me. I'm like, I could do this. I like this.
0: So obviously, Angela, you you turned your back on rat being a rat resuscitation specialist. You know
1: and- that was not enough to retain my interest in
0: <laughs> yes, scientific
1: so- research. And I'll and- tell you.
0: Being somebody who works with you I, I don't touch rat pups on a regular basis so that's not a huge part of what you do now so i'm curious no. <laughs> you're, you're at the top of your field in in I... rat husbandry at this point <laughs> and all of a sudden there's a shift so so when does that happen how does that happen yeah
1: for you you know i was good at it i was good at it Did doctors were like I had, I had my name on a couple of scientific research papers but like that, that did, that was so boring. I hated it. So, you know, this is the beginning of like being good at something. And my family upbringing in the community that I'm in, they're like, you're good at it. It's science. We value, revere science. Just keep doing it. What do you mean you're bored with it? What do you mean the wrap pup resuscitation is not enough to keep your interest and um, I remember loving sculpture work and uh, welding and foundry work, because that's what I did when I was in my undergrad at um, University of Bridgeport. And I just remember learning about design back then, actually. when Here's where I first discovered design, actually. When I was at University of Bridgeport, the only people who were staying up till 12, two, three in the morning, not partying, because University of Bridgeport was a party school, uh, were these guys, uh, mostly guys, who were sanding away at these Bondo models, these pink, hard cement, you know, blocks in it, walk by, and I'd say, what are you doing? Because this is going to be a vacuum, or this is going to be a blow dryer, or a drill, and I'm like, all right, and, you know, go off, party, come back and still stand on it <laughs> and still shaping it. And then when I learned more about what they were doing, to me, it was fascinating that that was similar to sculpture and art, but yet there was something there that was practical. There was some functionality to it. And that always fascinated me. So spin forward to, uh, you know, I'm at the research center, getting really bored, and I'm daydreaming, and I just keep thinking about industrial design. Uh, I researched, and I found that there were a couple, not many, but a few schools, uh, or I think at the time, only two schools that were offering it, Um, and, and Pratt Institute was, I don't even remember what that other school was. Was it Parsons? Was it FIT? I forget, or was it SVA? No, I don't know. I think it was, I don't know which other one. I think Pratt clearly at that time had the best industrial design program. And so I, I enrolled in uh, in the master's program at Pratt. So
0: you're basically, you've gone through this whole process. You've like, I think many creative professionals like listening to this, hearing our voice, have probably gone through this point where you're working at something you don't like. You have this realization that there's something in your life that you're missing. Yeah. And you go back to school, you find that new job, you do something to get what your soul is kind of pining for. And so Mm -hmm. in your case, this was coming into Pratt to get your master's degree. And what was like, what was that experience like? I mean, what, like paint a picture for us, like what decade are we in? What, you know, what was this time like?
1: Yeah. And, and, And let me say that you've got me to remember something. I, you know i i looking back at my childhood i think i've always felt a little lost you know not knowing what i wanted to become what i wanted to do you know i get into psychology and, and get i get that job and all of a sudden i don't want to be there that was an issue for my family and it's like why why do you want to jump to something else you're good at it right? If you're good at it, why do you want to change? If something's working, why bother changing it? And that is where one of the first moments where it's starting to real, like there was such a compulsion in me to need to to find something else that I just couldn't not look for it. And um, I think going to Pratt was amazing. I absolutely was so enthralled with that work. And um, learning how to be creative and learning what, you know, the first exposure to design. It's amazing when you start to say, how can you be creative? But then how do you find some functional purpose for that? There was an interesting dynamic and challenge there that I found really compelling and um, loved. You know, I remember loving the work um, and loving my my assignments and the classes and the teachers um, staying up till. 3 in the morning, walk, you know, hanging out late at the studio with all my other classmates and looking at everybody else's work. But uh, there wasn't some it was something that's first of all, I loved looking at what everybody did. Because I have a fascination for people, I loved watching how in a class out of 23 students in a class all of us would be given the same exact assignment. And yet how we would approach that assignment would be so different. And first just amazed at all the different styles of creativity, the, you know, what our natural propensities were. It was just absolutely fascinating, you know, to watch that.
0: So you're working through this program and you can kind of see where um, not only you, but I think the people around you kind of growing in their creative skills, turning this into a career. And so now you're at the precipice, we are, you're finishing this and you get to take that first step into design. So what is that? what was that for you and, and what were you feeling at that point? I mean, this yeah. must have been a big, not only a big pivot for you, big shift in what you're going to be focusing on, what your life was going to be. And this must feel like that first chapter. So what was happening? What was going through your head at that moment?
1: Actually, I want to, I actually want to tell a story about being at Pratt. Sure. Uh, While I was a student at Pratt, when you asked me that question, you got me to think about something else. While I was at Pratt, I started to have a certain kind of nightmare, which is really interesting. Um, This nightmare would be like, my favorite professor was Peter Barna who became provost at Pratt, amazing professor. He taught color and light. And the way he moved you through the discussion and the philosophy of color and light was just amazing. And um, in, while I was at Pratt, I had this ongoing nightmare that would continue again, that I would have repeatedly again and again. And in my nightmare, there I am, middle of the night, walking or um, working at my my desk and not and having different pieces whatever prototype or assignment I'm trying to put together some model some mock-up cardboard and foam and sticks or whatever and I'm not being able to make sense of it okay so instead in my dream I start walking around and looking at everybody else's work which I love to do, and I would walk around and look at everybody's work and talk to them um, and ask them, you know, how are you? How are you, how are you doing this? How are you going to solve that problem? How are you going to solve that problem? And in fact, um, in my dream, my professor Peter Barna would be chasing me. In my dream, I could see him go to my desk and go, why is she not working on that? And then throughout the dream, he's chasing me around the studio, looking for me and asking, where is she? Where's Angela? Why is she not getting her design work done? And meanwhile, I'm like running away and I'm looking at everybody else's work. How did you do that? Why did you do that? (laughs) And in truth, now that I think about it, I actually loved doing that. I loved looking at everybody else's work. And I actually... To a point where I actually helped three classmates of mine win, I completely forgot this. I helped three classmates of mine win design competitions. One classmate, um, you know, he wasn't even in my class. And I think he was uh, older than me or in the year before. And he, there was something, there was some competition he didn't even know about. And I just nagged him to death till he registered and he won not the first one, not gold. I think he won, he won silver. And, and I just remember him coming back to me saying, oh my God, thank you for, you know, pushing me. And it was one of those um, using a repetitive method. And he used something where it was repetitive beams, but if you rolled it one, one way, the, repet- the beams of wood laid on fabric would just roll up into a tight, could roll it up into a tight little, you know, roll. But if you rolled it the other way, it became a bench. The other, the inverse, you know, like the pressure from the, you know, the angles, right? Um, So when I was in college, then that was my nightmare. That's much more interesting than mine. I think
0: mine was, I'd be sitting in the class. and They'd say, Sean, do you know about... I'm like, yeah. I look down and like, there's nothing in front of me. And like, I don't know my backpack. And then I freak out and then I wake up. Yeah. So, unfortunately, mine did not inspire me to. <laughs>
1: well, it didn't. <laughs> coach it didn't and, and let me tell you, this was recurring <laughs> constant, and I hated it, and it did not inspire anything. You know, I didn't. It's fascinating how I'm going to tell you in a few minutes later where that comes back again and it shifts. Um, oh my God, I have not thought of that story in such a long time. So, then you, you wanted to know, you asked me, how did I get a job? You know how did I get graduating? I had no idea how to get a job. Let me tell you, I had no idea where I stood as a designer. I'm by the way, I was not the best designer. You know, with my colleagues, I was not at all. It was up there. You know, and and I was in a crew of some really amazing, talented designers. I remember um, Andrew Sloss. Uh, Ted Doulas, Erin Hoover, uh, Anthony DeBittante, who was at SMART, uh, Leslie Muller, just so many brilliant, talented people, Cordy Swope um, at J&J now, and just so many amazing classmates uh, that I was so inspired by. But for me, I did not know where I stood. I did not know what kind of designer I was. I had no sense. All I knew is I did not know how to interview. And I did challenge myself to interview with as many jobs as possible. And I did get to the point where I interviewed and interviewed where I even challenged myself to interview for jobs I didn't even know I liked. And I did end up getting to the point where I got in good and won jobs that I didn't even want. Um, I think there's Michael Nalini out there at uh, I think Montemano Development. I want a job at their product, product development firm, right? Model making. And there's like, it's like that classic moment where I stuck the Chuck key in the lathe, but did not take it out and ran that thing. And it went ting, 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 all over the place.
0: Angela, you could go home today. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was
1: exactly what they said on that day. <laughs> oh my God. So, my foibles or my, uh, oh my God, that was hysterical.
0: And I think um, like, I'm sure many designers can empathize with that feeling of like getting right out of school. There's like that first job, that tension, that pressure. And so um, maybe as a, as a point of catharsis, I wonder if you recall and can share like, There's got to be that one like nightmare interview that happened at this time. Everybody's got one.
1: I think I was honestly so clueless about who I was that I don't even know how I even got those jobs. I'm like, I don't know. I got out of that, but I got, I won that. I'm like, okay, I I got through that. You know, just talking about what I loved. I had no, I don't think my clarity at that point was even that self-aware. I just, You know, I moved through jobs after jobs. I moved, you know, I did, you know, obviously was able to execute design enough to, you know, become a senior designer at Milano Series years ago. It um, was a housewares gift company, then moved to Dance Tabletop, which is making a comeback again. I just saw it in, was it in Fast Company? I love it. I think they've just been, with the acquisition of Lennox, I think they're being the re- Reviving the brand, I love it. When I was at Dance, I was a design manager, and I think under Jerry Ross, uh, he had an amazing initiative. He was trying to bring back the value of uh, signature designers for Dance, and Dance was moving through something where they were losing, you know, marketing or merchandising, taking over marketing, merchandising, saying. Let's just copy what someone else did, another brand did. And they weren't focusing on um, classic signature designs. It was, it was moving to that point of copy. And later, as I became a recruiter, I started, I really could see that pattern happening a lot in a lot of companies where they would invest in design and invest in beautiful, unique pieces. And then sometimes marketing would take over and say, okay, now copy what the trend was, right? So Jerry had a really difficult challenge then trying to push back unique designs. And um, I remember then I, as a design manager, I loved looking at portfolios. I loved finding the right kind of designer that had the beautiful aesthetic sensibility, you know, the right weight and hand to create a new flatware collection. And that was, uh, I just realized at that moment how much I loved looking at work and I would have so much fun. I would spend time telling people, don't go working for us, go work for Fisher price. You're great with children's products. Or, don't go work for us. Go do medical products or no metal. I don't think even medical products was that big then it was like, go do footwear or go do exhibit design. You have a sense of structure, you know? So yeah. So I think
0: we can, you can start seeing this, this budding trend of yours. And I think this is as good a time as any to um, take a break right now. So we'll be right back where we continue with that next piece of, now Angela maybe starts discovering a little bit about herself. I'll see you guys later.